everyone, and welcome to Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. I'm your host, Sarah Sin, tackling horror movies, peeling back the layers, and taking a deeper dive into them. Again, on the show, I don't just discuss my love of horror movies. I like to bring in the aspect and perspective of horror and history, how horror movies tend to reflect society's fears. And since I am a psychology major, I like to bring this aspect and perspective in as well and see how the horror movie I'm focusing on reflects psychology and mental health in any way. So again, I just want to quickly apologize for not really having many episodes out this month. It's been a busy month between school, work, and then, like I said, Hamara and I went to Monster Mania a couple weekends ago, and I don't like to do any homework, nothing. Like, I just like to enjoy the entire weekend with her, so that took up a lot of time. So hopefully, with school ending on December 15th, I will be able to get back into the groove of things and maybe get a head start for when the next semester starts. So that's kind of my plan. Again, I apologize I'm hoping to get back on track starting next month with my winter break coming up. So I'm going to move on to the last movie for the theme of When You Mess With Mother Nature, She Will Bite Back with 1979's Prophecy, directed by John Frankenheimer, starring Talia Shire as Maggie, Robert Foxworth as Rob, Armin Asante as Hawks or John, Richard Dysart as Isley, Victoria Racimo as Ramona, and George Clutesi, sorry if I butchered any names, as Mirai, but most of the time he's just known as grandfather. So for horror and history, we definitely got like women's reproductive rights. I'd say, you know, the whole idea in the 70s, we had like Roe versus Wade, birth control was kind of coming out. Women actually were able to take control of their own bodies. There's the whole environmental issue aspect, toxic toxic waste, excuse me, chemicals being dumped into the environment, how this affects the environment, the forest, and everyone else. And then definitely we got racism in this movie, not only with the Native Americans we see in this movie, they're also, they're very much seen as less than, and then we do see it with African Americans in the beginning of the movie. So this movie definitely tackles the issue of racism. So for psychology and mental health, we got guilt, we got fear, paranoia, oppression, suffering, persecution, regret, empathy, compassion, deceitfulness, lying, dishonesty, um, SES, which is socioeconomic status. So, So if you haven't guessed it, another guest on the show, which is actually the last guest I have, Miss Ruby Toomsday's on the show again, talking prophecy with me. Really excited. Again, apologize. My daughter probably will pop in at some point. So like always, introduce yourself, um, plug whatever you like to plug, and please tell everyone why you wanted to do this movie. <laughs> well, um, start off as me, Ruby Toomsday. I'm the, the horror host for the Ruby Toomsday Horror Show every Saturday night on scener.com slash Ruby Doomsday. Um, part of the reason I really wanted to do this movie in particular is the that when I was a kid, because I'm old, when I was a kid and this movie came out in 1979, uh, for reasons I can't even express now or completely understand, this movie scared the daylights out of me. And by, I never even saw it until this week. It was strictly the TV trailers for the movie that would send me uh, cringing, running out of the room and just not okay for the next half hour, hour afterwards. Um, Scared the daylights out of me to a problematic level. Um, And I've looked back on the trailers now and I have no idea why. 
<laughs> I've, I've tried to figure it out. I have no idea why it got to me like it did, but it did. Um, so I kind of wish I had seen it at the time, just because I that way I could compare I could compare how the movie affected me then and versus how I see the movie now. But I just I I could not could not at the time. Um, so that this gave a me good, an excuse to finally kind of like <laughs> It's a good trailer if it scared you, like right. That's a really good trailer. I mean, I I remember seeing trailer. I don't remember what specific movies, but being like, I don't know if I'm going to watch that movie. That looks too scary. So they must have done a good job. <laughs> and then you yeah, watch was, it and you're it, like, okay, it's, it is kind of scary, but on a different level, I'd say. Yeah. I look at it now and I'm kind of like, what about this bothered me? I don't understand. Um, the the poster, however, if you have not seen the poster for this movie, 1979's Prophecy, do it. Go out. That is a that is a disturbing, creepy, terrifying poster. Well done them for it. Um, yeah, it's just like a so what, yeah, that like was, an embryo. Is was it like a mutated embryo? Basically, is what it looks like. Yeah, yeah, I think so. a yeah, roughly bear esque mutated thing. Um. Which we'll get into that more as we start discussing the movie itself, but yeah. but yeah, it's a it's quite impactful. And my my brain also kind of my childhood memories of this kept complaining with themselves with the movie Alien, mm. which the again you've got a shot of the egg and the clothes and it's on a black field and it's creepy and you know so my brain kind of throws those in together from that time period. But yeah, this one got to me. So. I mean, it's a good movie. I get. I was thinking about it too. I'm like, there's more to this movie than I think. It's a better movie than people put it out to be because I'm like, there's so much more going on that most people just focus on the like bad practical effects instead of really like watching how to me how scary this movie actually is if you actually like look at it and think about like everything going on. So, which mm-hmm. means we'll just start diving into that. the The first thing I wanted to talk about, which is I think it's a big part of the movie, but it's not a huge aspect of the movie. It's just more of like a, I'd say like the underline, underlining kind of story within it is, I said like before was the reproductive rights of women. Cause in the seventies you had like Roe versus Wade, you had birth control starting to come out and women finally had a choice on whether or not they wanted to have children. And then when they could have kids um, instead of like leaving it to quote divine intervention, blessing them with a the child, they had a choice at this point. And even in the beginning, our character Maggie is talking to her friend and her friend's like, you know, I don't know why you just don't tell your husband that you're pregnant. And she's like, well, my husband doesn't want kids because there's three million starving children in the world. and He doesn't want to bring another kid into the world. And her friend literally says, like, it's your body, your choice. She's like, and if you have an abortion, she's like, you'll never forgive yourself. So that's a big part of this movie is that this woman is not telling her husband um, that she's pregnant for the fear of how he's going to react because of the fact that he's what a doctor I think is what he is so yeah that that was kind of like and for me was kind of part of the you know was a not a huge part of the movie but definitely an underlining tone of the movie was like you know when is she gonna tell him like what's the problem like just let your husband know and also like why aren't you discussing these things before you have you know get married whether or not you want children so i don't know if that's kind of you know and then there's even at the end when when she finally tells him she's just like i wanted to tell you 
you wouldn't listen to me. Like I was trying to, and she's like, but you were too busy playing God. She's like, and now with everything going on, she's like, it's not even a baby anymore. What are we going to do? And that's when her husband, I do like that her husband kind of steps up and goes, we'll figure it out. You know, basically he's like, we'll figure it out. And you know, he's like, we'll get through it. So yeah, I don't know what you thought about that. <laughs> it's just Well, I mean, <laughs> to be blatantly honest about it, you know, being 1979, it was a great opportunity to add another layer of horror into the movie because at the time, nothing scared the American public more than a, a woman with rights. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think it was kind of a kind of cool that they approached this situation in a couple that wasn't inherently abusive. Mm-hmm. Um, because that tend to be anytime at the time it would normally kind of get referenced in situation of I distinctly don't want kids, but we're going to have a kid, you know. Um, More often than not, they would add domestic violence into that equation. Mm -hmm. And this time, they had a dedicated couple that really did actually love each other. You know, they really did think the world of each other, but they were just very driven with differing outlooks on things. Um, But... I think that, and it's easy to look back in 2023 at, well, this is how I would do that in something in, in 1979. Right, yeah. But, you know, it's hard not to look at this and go, okay, well, then if if there was an agreement on not having kids, which doesn't sound like there was, yeah. but if they had talked about it enough to have come to a conclusion then that's where you go, oh, let's take steps to make sure that doesn't happen then. You know, right. which none of none of which are ideal, but you know, that's like if we're going to make this plan work, this is how we do this. Or if we're going to make this plan work, this is how we do this. You know, kind of take actions that are going to get you both to the goal that you were trying to get to. Yeah. Um, ultimately, you know, where I come down is the one that has to carry the child to get to make the decisions, <laughs> you know? Um, no, I mean, I mean, as a woman, yeah, yeah I agree with yeah. you. I think it, it is definitely, you know, in the end, we are the ones who have to carry it. So I feel like, yeah. I feel like, and I feel bad because it does take two to tango. We all know that it takes two to make a baby, but I think definitely get the input of the father. But I think in the end, it is the woman. I agree with you. It is the woman's choice. We are the one who has to go through nine months of carrying a child and then hours of pushing a watermelon through a keyhole. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know? Yep. So, sorry. And um, then the uh, then the following 18 years plus where the the biggest part of the emotional labor is going to be performed on her side yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. You know? Sorry about so, that. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Are you good? Do you, okay. Sorry. Do you want to say hi? <laughs> well, you're there. Hi, Hamera. <laughs> oh. Okay. All right. Go on. I'll see you in a little bit. Sorry. She needs the batteries no out of whatever that is. She's like, shut the door, please. You're gonna hear that every time <laughs> she comes in on one way. Shuts them and be like, shut the door. <laughs> but no, I, I I agree with that. Yeah, it's and it's it is. It's 18 plus years of your life, and but I will say, like, I don't feel like the husband was angry that she was pregnant. I felt like he was more just upset and frustrated that she didn't tell him sooner because then 
the whole eating the fish with the mercury in it could have been avoided. Um, but he didn't look at her like, oh, how dare you be pregnant? He looked at her like, oh, right. my God, why didn't you tell me? Like, this is exciting news, but not now. Now that I, like we're going through all this stuff that could possibly, you know, injure the child that you're carrying now. So I did like that because I felt like at first when I first time I saw this movie and, you know, she's going to tell him at some point. I was mm -hmm. like, he's going to be so mad by the way she talks. He's going to be angry with her. And when he wasn't, I was like, okay, I like that. I think that's a, a good way that they went was that he wasn't mad at her for being pregnant. He was upset because now this is a new thing they have to add to. If he had known, she wouldn't have eaten. You know, they would have gone about this a completely different way, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, no, no, absolutely. Absolutely. But, so. I, but that also goes into, excuse me. I'm drinking. I, I just so everyone knows, I'm always drinking when I'm recording, even if it's a a solo show. <laughs> I always have to have a drink to kind of loosen me up and not make me so nervous. But um, this ties into the environmental aspect of the movie, which is a big part of this movie. Which is it is a nature horror, eco horror. It is warning people of the dangers of. Well, I mean, I'll say it. I mean, it's 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 the dangers of the white man, too, because it is touching on Native Americans. So it is the dangers of the yeah. white man pumping chemicals into the water system, which is the everything in that lake and pond is feeding mostly the Native Americans. And now they're suffering. And then the animals that are eating it are now being mutated because the guy said that the methylmercury, when it gets into your system and is ingested it crosses the placental barrier and then it mutates the the fetus and his mm -hmm. whole conclusion was that um while a fetus is growing it kind of goes through different stages of evolution and it looks like a fish at one point with you know and then it looks like an amphibian with webbed hands and it goes through all these stages and that with the methylmercury it's gonna pause certain stages so when the child or the you know this is a mutated bear comes out it's an amalgamation of a bunch of different animals all because mm -hmm. this logging company decided to use methylmercury to deslime the logs and the logs are soaking in the ponds and lakes that are feeding every creature in the forest and the native americans so it's like so it's definitely and, and, and that ties everything together with like i said with the racism because it is definitely touching on you know and this was just after shortly after, not shortly after but 50s and 60s we had the termination relocation program of native americans um my mom actually experienced it wrote a book about it before she passed away it was published or published post after her death but she wrote about it so this is also talking about how you know we our people my people lost their rights and yep. now they're being and you know and you know if this was a bunch of white people that were you know eating the fish and you know, having mutated babies, the government would have stepped right in. <laughs> but right. it was Native Americans and they were like, yeah, whatever. So sorry, that's I just went on a little rant because it is like it's so frustrating. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna be honest for you. That that aspect of things is the entire movie for me. Yeah. Um, and the same for my wife. Um, we both come from indigenous backgrounds as well. Um and I mean, her her mom, and I think I don't want to go into too much of this because I know we touched on this last last time we we recorded. But um, she still has family living on the reservations in in Canada. Um, her 
mother, her uncles, and her grandmother all went to residential schools. Oh, wow. Um, Bonnie's the first generation of the family that didn't. Mm. Um, so they not only experienced all of this, but I mean, within this lifetime, within one generation, and families still experiencing these kinds of things, um, it definitely hits home. Yeah. Um, the movie did such a good job of talking about these things that it was really hard to get through in parts. Um, yeah. Because we still see what's going on. Like, you know, uh, about five years ago, there was a chief in uh, Nunavut, which is uh, above the Arctic line in Canada, one of the provinces. And it's very sparsely populated, but what population is there is almost exclusively indigenous. And they're in a situation where there's no way they can afford to get food oh. because uh, a, dozen, you know, a, a gallon of milk can be $25, $30 US. Um, a loaf of bread can be $15, $20. You know, things like this. And the uh, support that's supposed to come to none of it from the provincial government and from the Canadian federal government just doesn't. It gets as far as the uh, IAO, the Indian Affairs Office, and kind of stops. So it goes to people working in the, the office and then never actually shows up to the communities. And the chief, and, I, and forgive me, um, I forget her name. Uh, but she went to, she was trying for a couple of years to get a meeting with Justin Trudeau, the, the prime minister, to talk about this issue. And just could not, although, again, it's a treaty-given right for her to be able to have audience, uh, could not make it happen through channels, could not get him get messages to his office, any of this kind of stuff. Ended up having to go on hunger strike for two months, um, living outdoors in Nunavut to finally get agreed to sit down and talk. And nothing in the government after that. We don't know whether... When they finally spoke, if none of it got the benefits, got the, you know, if anything changed, if anything improved, if they got help or not. Right. Um, and this is five years. So that's not even talking, you know, 1970s. That's not talking 1870s. It's not talking yeah. any, you know, five years ago. You know, um, I, you know, so I've been on the, I've been on the res. Um, uh, I've got family on both sides that is still experienced what that life is like. Um, we have friends and family both that are still in that world. And so you look at this and, and even though the movie is from 1979, so what, 20, 43 years, 44. Um, yeah. Close to that. Yeah. I'm trying to think I was born in 1982 and I'm 41. So <laughs> add a few years to that. <laughs> <laughs> um but uh so you look at it and you want to think well wow what, what that, that's that, that was the time well no it wasn't the time that that's also the now not yeah. a lot has changed look at uh flint michigan look at the daca pipeline in, in its entirety 
uh, look at the um, you know government mandated poverty and starvation in the Southwest, you know uh, Oklahoma as a whole, you know the Dakota Badlands. I could we could go on. I could do a whole yeah. podcast just on that. And I promise <laughs> I won't. Um, but you know you look at this and it's not a thing of the past. The scariest thing here is the fact that this hasn't changed. This hasn't improved. Um, no. And you know you know just a couple of years ago when the DACA pipeline protests were going on. People were getting bear mace. People were getting hosed down in freezing weather, um, you know, shot, beaten, all of these things because they said, like, no, we want water to drink. Yeah. Ugh. Well, it's like I said, if it was a bunch of white people, and I feel sorry saying this, I got white in me too, but I also got Native me American. Too. So, you know, if it was a yeah. bunch of white people, something would have been done. Like, and that's the whole thing about this movie too and there was another thing i wanted to quickly touch on um i was looking this up because i was interested 79 mike was there actually anybody who was native american in this movie uh the grandfather was the grandfather was played by a native american uh ramona and hawks were not but um but as i was watching i was like i like that they i think they did a good job i was like usually when you have someone who's not native playing a native american they're very cartoonish almost overacting and almost making fun of us but i actually looked it up because i was like i think they might be native because they're doing like their acting is very very good it's good so Mm. but then of course i looked it up and i was like oh it was 1979 they only had one native american that was grandfather but i was happy that i wasn't watching two people who were you know, a cartoonish version of the Native Americans, but there you I, go. Yeah, I call that like... F troops. Yeah, I call that F troop syndrome, um, where the natives in that this comedy uh, Western TV series were all Jewish guys with face paint, um, and it's just like, really, really, guys, really, <laughs> you're in Southern California. It's not that hard to find people. Um, but I do want to give them credit for that. Armando Asante was a, was an odd choice for that role. I think he's a great actor, but he was an odd person to to put in the indigenous lead role. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I did like is you look at all of the essentially extras that they had that were living there in village in the movie, mm-hmm. and they all look like family. That's <laughs> like. Wow, that looks like Uncle Arthur, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the background folks look great in the role. Um, we never, you never really get to interact with them. They really are just background characters. Yeah. Um, because you know, probably SAG didn't want, they didn't want to, have to pay SAG for speaking roles. But uh, so yeah, I think they did. They did a good job with the cast overall. I do find Armando Sante kind of a sticking point. I think he's a great yeah. actor, but he just didn't feel or sound right in the role to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but being Hollywood, we should be grateful that we got one Native person playing a Native, at least. That was grandfather. Well, yeah, that's what I was yes. saying. I was like, usually it was someone else of a different nationality playing Native Americans or a white person, like you said, with makeup on. Yeah. But, but it was, yeah. Uh, but I did like, Rob's character in this because he I felt like he was like the only person who cared about everybody like 
it was, you know, he didn't have to go to the native village and take blood tests and try to help them and figure everything out. He could have just done his job and left and been like, yeah. whatever, now I'm paid. Instead, he was like, I'm going to figure out what's going on because these people are being hurt. And, and it was like the the beginning with um, that um, African-American neighborhood where he goes in and it's such a great, it's such a short scene, but it's such a great scene where the woman is trying to tell him that her baby's being eaten by rats, the landlord saying it's something else. And that the landlord literally looks at her and goes, well, rats have to eat too, basically was like, you know, mm-hmm. rats have to have, they have, they have the right to live too. And he even says like, he's like, I'm getting your baby to the hospital. That's where he needs to be. And then he's like, I'm going to write a report. No one's going to read it. He's like, I'm going to take this landlord to court. It's going to be settled out of court. He's like, and this child is going to spend a few days in the hospital to come back to this place to be eaten by rats again. And it's just like, he's like the, and he, like, he's, he's the only one who cares to even. Yeah, he's fuming through that entire speech, which is great. Um, You really do get a feeling that Rob is an inherently angry character. He's never mean, but he's an inherently angry character all the way through. Um, And it's justifiable sense of injustice. (laughs) That's an odd sentence. But, uh, you know, you can feel that he legitimately does care and he's legitimately pissed off that the world is like this. Yeah. Um, so I have to give him credit there. Yeah. Like I said, he's he's like a, he's could have been a typical white man character who just doesn't care. But I like that they made him compassionate and empathetic and he yeah. wants to help people um, despite the money. Like it wasn't about him getting paid. He's going to these um places you know like in the beginning to help these people knowing he's not going to make any money he doesn't care it's about taking care of the people because that's his job is to take care of them and i'm watching the whole scene just going like he just at least he cares i'm just like why can't more people care and then when he gets to this was it they're in maine i think and he's finding out like something's he's like piecing everything together and he's like well, the Native Americans are the ones eating the fish. They're not drunks, like everyone assumes they are, because, you know, Native Americans are drunks. Well, of course we are. Right. You know, he's saying, no, it's the methylmercury that's in the fish that they're eating is causing them to act drunk. He's like, and then when there's the scene, um, when they're doing the standoff right in the beginning, and he's like going after the pe- the white people, going after the Native Americans, like, no, what do you, like, stop. And then... I love the scene where Isley shows up with the sheriff accusing the Native Americans of killing that family. And Rob just stands up and is like, excuse me, like, where's your evidence? Like, there is nothing here saying that these people did any harm to anyone. Where's your evidence? And all Isley had to do was make an accusation. And that sheriff was marching on with him. That's and Rob is like, the only, yeah, I like, I like that scene. Cause it shows like, I'm like, he's, Rob's the only one like being like, excuse me, like, what the hell? Like, these people have done nothing wrong. You're just assuming they are. And your accusations got the sheriff here. When Ramona even states like three times we've gone to the government and three times we've been turned away. But with evidence saying something's wrong, the government's like, eh. But a white man says, I think these Native Americans killed this white family. And the sheriff's like, let's go get them. And Rob's like, absolutely fucking not. Sorry, I, I just liked Rob as a yeah. character. Like he could have been a typical white man, or as my mom would call, what does she used to say? I feel bad saying. Was she call him wasps all the time? Is what she said. 
white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Saxon Protestant. Yeah. Yep. That's what she used to always say. And, you know, he could have been a typical one, but they made him yeah. a caring character. And like I said, I do like, I do love that scene because he's like, no, these people have not, I've been, I've been with these people. So no, I don't know. I just, I think Rob is a good character in the movie. Yeah. And I like that he wasn't a typical white person in this movie. I don't know. I like Robert Foxworth as an actor. Um, and he's one of those people you look at him and go, I know I've seen him in something, but what? Uh, <laughs> I was thinking that too, and, actually. <laughs> and you know, the funny thing is, is that I continually missed it. I, I get him and Robert Reed, who played Mike Brady in the Brady Bunch. I get those two backwards all the time. There's something about the eyes. These two people, I, I consistently conflate them. Um, but yeah, Robert Foxworth, I've actually just got, we just went through and rewatched the entire Babylon 5 series over again. And he's a recurring uh, Earth Force uh, starship captain in the series. Um, and he's fantastic in it. And of course, my my family loved the evening soap operas when I was a kid. And he was the patriarch in uh, Falcon Crest. Oh, okay. My mom used to watch so soap I, operas during the day. I never... Never. <laughs> I never got into it. I <laughs> never got into it. I, um, I liked Falcon Crest just because I loved the opening theme song, so I taught myself to play it on viola. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> I was there for the music, and that was it. <laughs> um, but yeah, Robert Foxworth, you know, I he did a great job with the role. He definitely made it believable. You, you know, you believed in the emotions he was expressing, which is cool, and also again unusual for the uh the type of character in a movie like this i mean they were trying their best i we'll get into it later. i think i think they were doing great and then kind of missed the mark right at the end but th- they spent most of the movie trying to avoid the white savior trope mm-hmm. and i think that right at the end it kind of like uh well that's good enough it's it's the end of the movie we don't have to do that anymore yeah <laughs> you know um so i almost want to give them marks uh, well, it would have been nice to see John Hawks as the savior. I mean, he tried. I was kind of hoping that he would have killed the monster, but yeah, you know, yeah. he didn't. That would have been great. Um, yeah, and that's I where I, really where I thought we were going to go, and I was really hoping, um, but not where we ended up. No, <laughs> no, but I mean, and but yeah. I agree. I didn't even think about but, that until so he just said that because I was like, "Oh yeah, he is the savior, isn't he?" The ending is kind of a like a, such a mishmash of so much happening in five minutes. Yes, it's like very hard to follow with this, you know, monster and the mutated baby, and it's a bear that's something. But yeah, the last five minutes is literally like just chaos in the movie. And it, mm-hmm. it's very hard to follow because to me, it's just like, all right, it's the end of the movie. There's not much dialogue, not much going on. Someone's going to kill the monster and we're going to be done. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's like four or five false endings in rapid session. Yep. <laughs> so, okay, well, this is the obvious point. To, oh, no. Okay, we got. Okay, now this is the obvious place. Oh, no, no, no. We got it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And then he just, Yeah. <laughs> He's a he is a good character. I like him. I like I, I do like this movie. Like I said, I do like the like you said, it is hard to watch at times. It's very much I didn't um grow up on a reservation. My mom did, like I said, she was 
like a year or two old when the termination relocation program happened to her and she was forced off of her res. Um, I've heard many stories from my mother about that. Some I won't talk about because they're very depressing and sad to to even repeat. Um, right. But it definitely, yeah, I'm sorry where I was going with this. Um, but it is hard just to know that my mom experienced a lot of this. Like it's hard yeah. for me to watch to know because I remember growing up here in Vermont, which is a primarily white state. It is like 99% white. Oh, thank you, honey. Um, oh, it's not for me. Sorry. I thought she was bringing me a water. She just wants me to open it. Here you go. Thank you, honey. <laughs> Shut the door. <laughs> she was being nice, <laughs> but you know, I grew up in a very white state. Um, and I remember right. my mom telling me as like, when I was growing up, she was like, you know, I was told to be as white as possible growing up and that I couldn't be proud of my heritage. And she's like, but I'm going to tell you the one, she's like the one who looks very white, um, very Irish looking. I got the green eyes, the red hair and the freckles. She's like, but she's like, I want you to embrace your native American side. So it was kind of interesting to hear the stories of my mom growing up being told be white as possible to get through this world. Otherwise you're not going to. And then for me to be like, being told no you need to embrace it so it's very hard for me to see these kind of movies because it is like my mom experienced a lot of these things and it was hard and she like I said she wrote a book she talks about it in the mm -hmm. book I have not read the book um I'm not ready I know it's been five and a half years since she passed but I still just can't bring myself to read it and it's called Indian no more like literally she talks about how she was told she can't be Indian anymore which is a term they use in the movie which was weird for me to hear too because it's Native American or indigenous people. So when I'm listening to the movie and they're like the Indians and I'm like, Oh, that's right. We, that's what we were called for a while. I completely forgot about that until the movie started going and I was like, ah, but yes, it is a hard movie to watch for that. It is, um, you know, but again, these kind of movies are also important to show people like what the world was like. And as you say, it hasn't changed much, but we can do better people. It's always like, yeah, we're not that bad, but we can still do a lot better now. But it is these movies are important to show like this is how they were, you know, treated back then. Yep. And that's why I say with a lot of these movies, some of them are very hard to watch, especially with everything, you know, um, like I remember I talked to you about Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. I was like, should I even cover this movie? And you were like, yeah, because this is what the world was like. And people yep, need yep. to know this was what the world was like. So this is another movie where I'm like, you need to watch this movie because it's a good movie. Like I said, that and even the environmental aspects, it's like just, and it's showing the whole thing Native Americans are about is like, everything's connected. Mm -hmm. Like you don't think about it that way, but it is, you know, the logging company run by white people, they are using this mercury. That's why Isley said like, test the water. And Rob says, well, what if it's heavier than water? So if I test the water, whatever, it's not going to come out. And that's the mercury. Mercury is heavier than water. Yep. So it wouldn't come out in the tests. He's realizing, oh, my gosh, they're putting this on, using this on the logs or soaking in these ponds. The fish are, you know, have the mercury in them. The Native Americans are eating it. The animals are eating it. And now it's affecting every, you know, it's affecting this circle of people. And I said it the circle everything's connected and I remember my mom always saying mm -hmm. that like everything's connected and this movie definitely I think touches on that in a very you know I hate always saying good way but in a very smart way because it is saying like hey right. like 
look at this. And he even like breaks it down. Like, here's the steps. This is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. This is why we have a mutated creature out there. And he was at, it was a Katahdin, which mm-hmm. I looked, which I did look up there. I don't think there's an actual Katahdin legend, but there are legends from the Native Americans about Mount Katahdin that are kind of similar, I guess. I was trying to look it up, but that's what the cool. amalgamation is, is it's all God's grandpa says it's like, it's all God's creatures in one. And he's like, well, of course it'd be all God's creatures in one because it's a mutated fetus. And then that mutated fetus grows up and has more mutated babies. And they just keep, I don't know, the baby, that baby's scream was so, oh, the baby bear scream when it was stuck in like the net, it still haunts me (laughs) just hearing it. It was like, "Ah, sorry, I just, I'm just thinking about it. And I'm like, but I do like that Rob wanted to save it. And I don't, and because he said like the it was Ramona she was like oh no just let it die and he's like no he's like this is actually what we need to prove what I'm saying to help you know your village so we can get this problem fixed he still kills the baby because it bites his wife in the neck (laughs) so you have to make choices um (laughs) yeah that's true (laughs) I have to say you know the the uh there are parts of me that I don't want to put this. There are things about me that the way they present as an example is I have a tendency to, in dire situations, be far more logical than emotional, which sounds like a great thing. Yeah. But can make people really uncomfortable. <laughs> so in that whole thing with, you know, trying to, to sneak their way through the woods carrying this wounded animal, this wounded baby animal that's making all these noises. Because it, it would. You can blame it. But at the same time, it's just like that's just a shouting audio beacon to where you are for the, for the parent animal to find. And it's like, there's your reason to kill it. It's not just kill it because it's not right. Kill right. it because it's, you know, the thing you're trying to run away from is tracking you now because of it. Oh, so more, so much more easily. Um, and she. And I'm looking at this like, really, is this is this animal alive? Yeah, and is this animal alive going to prove your point that much better than this animal presented and not alive? Oh, that's is true. It really yes, going to help your cause too. that much more if it's? Yeah. So it's like you've got the you've got the evidence whether it's screaming or not. <laughs> you know. So I'm looking at this like you might want to. Like, a put it out of its misery because it is suffering just by being. Yeah. Um. Oof. And B, you've still got the the animal. You know, if getting it to evidence, get as evidence and showing it to the newspapers, that is important. I get that, but that's going to be a still photo anyway. I don't know. I'm overthinking things, but that's where my brain goes. Uh, we have a role, a joking role in our house with any of the monster movies we watch the first person that says oh we've got to take it back alive to study it shoot them <laughs> this is <laughs> because it's always the one is no we've got to take we've got to take it back alive so we can study it and tear it apart and all these other things make all this money off it's like shoot them now because they're going to be a problem later <laughs> it's true yeah like you know watch any 50s to 60s uh, monster movie in particular we have to study it. That person's going to be a problem. Creature from the Black Lagoon. Great example. 
the guy who's bankrolling the entire thing is the entire problem. The entire all the way through the movie. Um. Uh, anyway, that's I actually haven't there. seen that movie yet. I haven't seen Creature the Black Lagoon. I know. I, I do want to see it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not. No, I'm giving you no shade for not having seen it yet. I'm just saying, and it's a really good movie. Um, go ahead, do yourself a favor and skip the sequels. They're absolutely awful. The third one in particular. It's, I would put the third one of movies that actually made money. I would say that easily the third creature movie is in my top five worst ever. Well, some of these absolutely... movies I'm just waiting to cover on the show, so I don't really want to see them yet. Because like I haven't seen Frankenstein yet or Bride of Frankenstein. Because I'm like I know oh. I'm going to cover these someday, and it's like I kind of want to go in with without knowing because I know even when I watch horror movies even now when I'm trying to just not pay attention I'm constantly paying attention so if I watch yeah. it um for the show first then I can enjoy it I'm like the reverse of other people like most people are like I have to watch it first to enjoy it and then I dive deep and I'm like I'm opposite my brain constantly works on the deep dive part so if I watch it deep dive then the next time I watch it I'm going to, I know that I can enjoy it more. So that's why some of these movies, I'm like, I don't really want to watch them right now because I know I'm not going to fully enjoy them. I'm going to be stopping and going, hmm, what does this mean? So that's why some of these movies, the prophecy I wasn't, or prophecy, not that prophecy, but prophecy I wasn't expecting to cover (laughs) anytime soon. So I just watched it randomly one day because I was like, I remember this movie. My mom told me about it. It was naked. I'm pretty sure she saw it in the drive in. But I remember her talking about <laughs> it. She's like, mutated well, bear, uh, mercury, something about a pregnant woman. She's like, you'd like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, um, okay. <laughs> when you do get around to doing Frankenstein, particularly the bride, please let me know. Um, because my favorite, basic, just about my favorite movie ever of any variety is Bride of Frankenstein. Okay. Huge, 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 huge fangirl for Bride of Frankenstein and Frankenstein both. Um, there's a reason that the Ruby Tombs say character is a flesh golem. Those movies are it. Um, so I would love to, to, even if I'm not on your show, I would love to get together and just talk with you about them. Okay. I'll definitely let you know. I'm going to, you know, I have so many different things, but this movie was one, <laughs> like I said, this is why a lot of these movies I have to watch like with fresh eyes the first time. So I hold off on them, but this one was literally just a random one that I was like, oh, I've never seen this. My mom talked about it. I'm going to watch it. And then I was like, oh, I should do nature horror. I'm like, oh, prophecy would be a good one. That's got a lot going on in it. Because I remember when I was watching it, I was like, there's a lot going on in this movie. Like I said, there's environmental <laughs> yeah. aspect. It's tackling, you know, racism. It's tackling, you know, women's reproductive rights. It's, you know, not doing um, the typical, you know, white man hero who you know doesn't care about anyone but himself is actually caring about other people so i'm like there's a lot going on and then it has like probably one of the funniest kills i have ever seen in a movie with the child in the sleeping bag and i literally the first time i ever saw this movie i rewound that like six times because i couldn't i did too i did too laughing it is funny this kid this is this is the family that the native americans are being accused of killing it's like a dad and his daughter and son and the son is in a sleeping bag and like when the monster comes out and starts killing the dad or the sister or whatever the kids just starts hopping in the sleeping bag you just see his face and the monster just hits him and he explodes on a rock <laughs> like this I, I don't know why it's just the funniest kill ever 
There's like no there. blood when it explodes. It's just a bunch just, of feathers just flying feathers. in the air. Just feathers. No body. Just... Uh, of of the two great sleeping bag kills in horror history, this is the best. I thought I'm I thought sorry. Friday the yes, 13th had this. Dean di- Potter, you did a great job. That is a good kill, but this one is just this one's so literally... much better. I could, so I much better. I couldn't stop laughing. I had to rewind a bunch of times. I'm laughing so hard, and I'm just like, this is the best. And it's literally, like, to me, it's, like, really the only funny scene in there. And so it makes me go, I don't think that was supposed to be funny. I think It, it really- was not, which makes it even funnier. Uh, it is such a tone break for the entire movie. It does yeah. not belong in this film. No. It belongs in a trauma movie. <laughs> yes. It does not belong in prophecy. But it was just... Oh God! Bonnie and I were both just absolutely dying, and it was the same thing. Wind it back, wind it back, wind it back. We have to keep seeing this. Because when you that, see the wind that's... up for it, you're thinking something else is going to happen. Like you think the kid is just going to like fall backwards, and you're going to see a bloody face, or the something else is going to happen. But all you see is the kid in the sleeping bag fly in the air, hit the rock, and an explosion of like goose feathers. And I'm just like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, and it, in the way, like you said, it definitely does not fit the tone of this movie, but it was kind of a nice, you know, 60 seconds of laughing, you know, rewinding and laughing <laughs> and then stopping and going like later on in the movie. I was like, that was a great scene. Like when Isley does come down and he's accusing the the Native Americans, I should be laughing right now, but he's accusing them of killing them. I'm laughing going, oh, is he talking about that sleeping bag? <laughs> like, is that what he's talking about? <laughs> so, of course, I stopped he's and I started sl- laughing again. I'm like, this is not a scene to be laughing at, Sarah. But, like, all I kept thinking was the exploding sleeping bag kill? Is that what he's talking about? And so, are you, are, honestly, are you accusing the Native community of magically turning this kid into feathers? Cause... Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, it's such a, definitely one of the funniest kills. Okay, let's go. Okay, go ahead. Himera. Being a a single mom. Himera, let's go. Out of the room. Take the bag with you if you want. That's fine. Okay. Thank you. Sorry, guys. (laughs) I feel like I said, she's going to pop in and pop out. So, Himera, go. Shut the door. I'm sorry. No worries. As we're, as I'm laughing about this kill in a very serious, <laughs> serious tone movie. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. Def, definitely the best sleeping bag kill. Kane Hodder and what is it? Seven? Friday, Friday 13th part seven. That's so. probably number two. But this one, yeah. Sorry, I had to talk about that because I couldn't stop laughing. I still like, I kind of want to go now <laughs> go back and just watch that scene over and over again a few times tonight to get a good laugh but yeah no you're right it does not fit the tone of the movie but in a way it's kind of a nice little break for like a few seconds where you're just like huh, oh i can laugh for a minute and then you're like oh crap this mutated bear yeah. <laughs> mauling people you have to wonder who who was looking at the dailies on this shot and decided yeah we'll leave that in yes. <laughs> he's like that's a great kill. I mean, it's gonna just... scare everyone it's going to show how yep. mighty this prophecy bear is. So right? now I'm thinking too, I'm like, so is prophecy the name of the movie because they're talking about Katahdin and how Katahdin, that was the thing I was trying to think of was I'm like, why is it called prophecy? I feel like it's almost like, I don't know. I feel, I don't know. I feel like it, it's a good name, but I kind of like, what prophecy are they talking about? Because I don't really think they ever talk about a prophecy. They just talk about, they're like, there's Katahdin, he 
watches our woods. He wakes up to protect us. But I'm like, that's not really a prophecy. That's a that's a, that's a, a story. That's a that's folk. You know, that's one of their stories that they tell. Kind of like the Sasquatch from my my mom's people. Um, the her res. Um, he. I have a story. I won't. I won't talk about it this time. I maybe when we're done recording, I'll tell you really quick. But he oh. protects the woods around the reservation. He, you know, you don't bother him. He doesn't bother you. Um, but he has been known to help people in need if they're in the woods or lost or something's happening. You know, so I'm like, that's what he Katana. I was thinking about was more like he's just this legend, the story that the people tell and say like, hey, like he's out there in the woods. This is what he looks like. So I'm like, where does the word prophecy, like, why are, why are they calling the movie prophecy? It's almost like how they call Troll 2, Troll 2, when it's about goblins. Exactly. Like, like so exactly. now it's, my question, that's why I keep thinking, because like, producers where is the studio, Yeah, because producers and studio execs don't care what the words actually mean. They just, what will this look like on a poster, you know? Right, so, like, uh, yeah, because I'm like, at first I was thinking, well, is the prophecy, like, is there a prophecy about a mutated baby human that's supposed to come out? And there's nothing... About I don't know I just I kept thinking the whole time I'm watching the movie I'm like why is it called prophecy like there's no prophecy that I can think of unless I watch it again maybe pick something up but I mean this is my second time watching it and I haven't picked up on any prophecy I just picked up on a legend a story that's told and what Katahdin is and it's not a prophecy it's not like they're like oh and you know when you know something bad they were like you know when the environment's in danger Katahdin comes like then I'd be like well that's a prophecy this was just Katahdin lives in the woods, amalgamation of a bunch of different gods, creatures. That was the other thing I kept thinking, too, was like, why was grandfather using the term God? Because isn't God a Christian European term? My mom always referred to him as great spirit. And she said yeah. that most Native Americans, that's what they they might have called him something else. But the term God was always, you know, Christianity term. So I was like, right. when grandfather yeah, said that, I kept thinking, I was like. I remember he said all God's creatures, and I was like, "Why is he saying God?" I'm like, definitely, some a white person definitely wrote the script. Yeah, that's 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 the entire point. Yeah, like, yeah. Typically, you would you would hear great spirit, great mystery, or creator, and then of course the various uh, regional terms in the in, in individual in, indigenous languages for those right. concepts. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah, he wouldn't have said. Oh, God's creatures. God wouldn't have been a part of the whole thing, or you wouldn't call Katardin. You don't wouldn't call any of the spirits a god because that's just that's not right. But there is a a uh, caucastic tendency to take all of these words for spiritual things in all these other cultures and just call them all gods because you know, they like that word. Um, this is why you know you'll hear. Uh, Kami in K-A-M-I in Japanese being used as oh that's just the word for God like no it's spirit they're they're spirits they're not necessarily gods there's no hierarchy but you know same 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 dynamic but well it was like when Ramona was talking about um there was another part when she was talking that made me go I definitely was not a Native American writing the script because she was talking about she's like oh yeah every tree every rock has a story and I was like no every everything has a spirit my mom always taught me that like every creature mm -hmm. every rock every blade of grass every you know body of water she's like they all have a spirit she's like it's not a god that like, we don't have a god of trees we don't have the god of the raccoons 
she's like it everything has a spirit because i remember her saying that because my cats mm -hmm. growing up would always bring us nice live animals that my mom would actually nurse back to health and she would always say this is she's like this is one of great spirits creations and it has a spirit and it has a right to live was yep. what my mom always said to my white father i love my dad but just you know <laughs> he'd be like, why don't you just leave it out there to die like what's the problem my mom's like because she's like it has a purpose it has a spirit it's meant to you know i'm going to do my best to keep it alive and leave it up to you know great spirit to figure out what to do from there but so when right. she was saying like every tree every rock has a story i was like yeah that's not right either yeah like, everything has it's... a story like how it was created because i remember my mom telling me these stories but Mm -hmm. I'm like, again, I was like, so they're using the term God. Everything has a story. I was like, okay, they definitely, there's a lot yeah. of things they got a little bit, definitely got wrong in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> again, 1979, probably not many Native American writers. Yeah, this is David Seltzer. He was the one uh, who wrote the, the book. Because I looked it up. I was looking up the book because I found out it was a book too. And I was like, oh, I got to go yeah. read the book now because I got to see. What this book is yeah, about. He's listed as a screenplay writer on the uh, IMDb page, too. He might have. He probably did. They do. The, I mean, a lot of. I've, I'm trying to think of what. Besides, like, Clive Barker, who wrote books and then wrote his own scripts. There's a yeah. few other people that did the same thing. So I'm wondering if. Because I know Peter Benchley was. Um, didn't. I don't think he wrote the script for Jaws, but he was, like, part of the process to make sure that. Yeah. The book to make sure the movie was. Which is another movie. I've I've seen the movie. I haven't covered it yet because I'm like, that's one that's a... I try not... I, I, this sounds weird, but I try not to do too many popular movies because they've been broken down so many times. And I don't want to sound like a broken right. record um, unless I can find something different in it. Like when I did Videodrome, I completely went on a completely different aspect than most people did. Same with like Psycho. I kind of went on... But I try to try to... I, bleh. I'm stuttering. I try to find movies that a lot of people may not know about so we can introduce more people to them and movies mm -hmm. that aren't as mainstream um, because so many people have already picked them apart and I don't want to ever sound like a broken record and I don't know many people who have talked about prophecy so I was glad you wanted to do this one because I was Truth. like even if we just talked about that you know sleeping back kill the whole time I would have been fine. <laughs> <laughs> I still can't get I over could. that. Seriously, people, if you hours. haven't watched this movie just watch it. I, you know what you don't even have to watch the movie, but please watch the movie. But just look it up on like YouTube, <laughs> like Sleeping Bad yeah, Kill and Prophecy, because you're gonna want to watch this like ten times in a row because it is the that the kids face. And then I'm pretty sure they do the I forgot what they call it, the Wilhelm scream. Is that what it is? Mm, I'm pretty maybe. sure. I think it's the because if I remember correctly, it sounds like a very generic scream. I, I'm gonna have to go back and watch it now. But the scream is funny too because he's just like. Ah! <laughs> Bam! Bunch of feathers, but <laughs> well, now I'm thinking about it. But <laughs> like they shot the kid out of an air cannon at the rock. <laughs> yes, really. And I didn't even think the bear hit him that hard. It's not even a bear. I guess it's like so. Well, it's started out as a bear, but it's supposed mm. to be like 15 feet tall. And honestly, like a lot of people are like, the bear, the monster looks terrible. I was like, I don't think it looks that bad. Like, it's not have, the greatest, I, but it's not the worst I've seen. Yeah, honestly, I I'm, I wasn't displeased with the creature design. Um, And, you know, I was poking fun at some of the uh, effects work on Nightbreed. Some of the uh, some of the, the creature makeups were great designs, which just really didn't come together in, in 
production. Right. Um, but, you know, overall, I think Prophecy worked. I think the monsters they had for that did a pretty good job. Um, this movie, for as much as my ranting about the indigenous issues and uh, all of that kind of situation, there's a lot to be said that is unfortunate. Um, but I have to give this movie credit. I was legitimately creeped out in this one now. I mean, I just watched this show two days, this movie for the first time finally two days ago. Um, and this movie got under my skin now. So the, the suspense was actually there. The creepy, the scary was actually there. The, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. That was all well represented in this movie. And it's pretty rare these days. I mean, once you've been a horror fan for a while, um, and a, even worse, once you become a horror host, it gets really difficult for those movies to have that impact they're supposed to have. Yeah. And I I did legit find this one disturbing and, and creepy and all of those good things. So I do have to give it credit for that. It did a really good job, a better job of being a horror movie than most of the horror movies of the time did. No, I, um, I definitely give it a I think scary, it really worked on that. Movie. Yeah. No, I that's what I was saying. Like I think there's yeah. you know, most people just they shove this movie off because the practical effects aren't that great. But I'm like, if you really watch this movie, it is really scary. Like it is scary to think about um the all of the issues. Like it is scary to think about Maggie being pregnant and that the, her husband even said just one little drop could cause these horrible mutations in a child. And she's like, I ate the fish. I ate one fish that could, you know, so that's scary to think about, especially, I mean, someone who's been pregnant, that's all that goes on in your mind is like, Oh, the, you know, you shouldn't be thinking about all the things that could be happening, but you do, you know, because you're trying to prepare yourself for these things. And, you know, and then, so that's a scary aspect for, for mothers. And I don't think they were doing it to scare people into, you know, not using birth control. Cause some movies that came out in the seventies, I definitely think were like, Oh, you shouldn't use birth control because your baby's going to be a mutant. Like, and it's alive, you know, which is a fun movie yeah. too. I love that movie. But, it's you know, a fun movie, but yeah, but that 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 I, that concept was out there. That propaganda existed. Yeah, and but I don't think this movie was doing that. It was just showing the actual fears mothers can go through when they're pregnant from telling their person to, oh my gosh, something could be, you know, I hate using the word wrong, but there's could be something wrong with my child. And now what do I do? Like now I'm put into a position right. where I have to make a choice and how am I going to make this choice? So that's a scary aspect, you know, just seeing, like I said, all the racism is scary. Just the idea in the beginning that that little African-American baby was going to go back to that house and be bitten by rats again and harmed again because of a landlord who could care less about the people living in that building to the native Americans who are being treated poorly and, you know, treated as less than to just the whole environmental aspect of like just this little bit of mercury that can be in the water can cause such a ripple effect you know that to me the movie is generally scary because of all of those aspects just take out the fact that the the bear isn't the greatest practical effect in the world but it's still a pretty creepy effect i mean it i mean the first time i saw it i was like oh is this skin falling off like what is happening yeah, here it, legitimately unsettling and that's that's the first job of a monster like this yeah. Their job is, it, scary or not, it's supposed to make you uncomfortable. It should make you uneasy. It should make you, you know, yes. nervous. It should make you disgusted. All of the, Any and all of these things. And this one, I think, accomplishes all of that. So it does its job as a movie monster. 
Um, and it does it quite well. I so agree, I really but... dug that. I've got nothing yeah. to say about the effects in that. No, nothing I mean, negative think... to say. Yeah, I don't think they're bad, personally. I mean, like I said, are right. they, like, obviously they're not, like, alien xenomorph level, but they're still a lot better than some of the other ones. And still, sometimes you just got to push past that. Because to me, I'd rather see a practical effect over CGI. I'm definitely one of those people. I'm sorry. I am one of those people that would rather see a practical effect that's not, you know, the greatest over CGI, where I know my where I can make the distinguishing I can distinguish between it like it's very easy to see like that's not right practical so I like that it that it was practical and I honestly don't think it was the worst it was a little I, I think for me it was just when it moved that's when you could tell it was a little wonky because like well, rubber, it was, yeah rubber like suit rubber syndrome suit. yeah because yeah. because the person wearing the suit I read because I was looking into it was like I want to say seven feet tall but the bear is supposed to be like over 10 feet tall see the only thing you really saw was the head kind of wobbling around but i'm like whatever if it was an amalgamation of a bunch of things i don't think it would have a very sturdy head to begin with it's probably a big head to try to carry around i don't yeah. know just looking at it like it's not that bad just push away yeah. if that's the, if that's what's stopping you from watching this movie is that you heard it had bad practical effects then you're not you got to watch it because it is scary. It generally scares you. It makes you think about all these different things. And like I said, as a mother, it made me go, oh, my God, that is scary to think about. Like, mm -hmm. it is scary to tell. And, I, you know, at the time I was married and we wanted kids, it was still scary to have to say something because was it the right time? Was it not? You know what I mean? Like, you don't know. And then when you get those things where they tell you, like, oh, we need to do another ultrasound because we think this might you know, and so my brain goes to now her brain's going there, like, and it is scary, but I do like, like you said, that they are, that they're not pushing the agenda of like, you know, birth control is bad. It's showing the genuine fears, even if it's just like a metaphor of like all the fears you go through when you're pregnant is like, these are genuine fears that you, you fear. And then, yeah, I don't know. I'm going on a tangent. I'm repeating myself. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I tend yeah, to well, do they do, Yeah. There, there was no real, if there was any preaching in this film, it was just like we gotta quit dumping poison in the water. Um Which is which not a bad is a, thing to preach a, about. <laughs> right. It's a it's a great biodegradable soapbox to be on. Um and what one of the things I really dug, because I have a science background, is they were pretty pretty good about the science in the movie. They're pointing out the right chemicals. They are talking about the different developmental processes that do exist. Okay. They're talking about how this thing impacts those stages. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, it's 100% accurate. The other one movie that did say that was Human Centipede. Do the math. But uh, they made an effort to to produce decent science in a believable way for the, con for, for the confines of the film, which I think is pretty awesome. And you look at this now... Um, the recommendations exist now for pregnant women to not consume seafood at all mm -hmm. during gestation because of the threat of mercury in the fish. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I remember so, that. So you know, you know, it's so cool to see somebody say raising that flag. Hey, methylmercury is a problem, guys. In 1979, and then see like acknowledgement like hey guys, this is actually is a problem now being actively taught to mothers. Now those are that's being taught to mothers who have the regional and economic access to prenatal care 
mm-hmm. which is not nearly as large a po- part of the population as it should be, yeah. but at least it exists, you know? Um, so I think there are people like Rob out there. There are people like Rob yeah. who are doing the work and pro bono work and not caring about the money, but caring it, taking their actual oath seriously as a doctor, which the patient comes yep. first, you take care of them. Because luckily yep, there are some people. Harm. Yes. All right. That's right. Yeah. But at least he wasn't, you know, because you know he's not getting paid with the work he's doing, but he doesn't care. Yeah. It's about taking care of the people. And like I said, I it's a good movie. That's all I can say. A lot of people, it's a, you know, I mean, when I first thought about it, I was like, okay, this is going to be some kind of cheesy 70s movie, but I love cheesy movies. Like, give me more cheese. I love extra cheese on my nachos. So Absolutely. I'm always going to, you know, like, I'm going to, but as I'm watching it, I'm like, this is actually, this is a good movie. It's got a lot of good messages. It's definitely one that I would say, like, I definitely say some movies definitely reflect more on psychology. Some reflect more on history. This is definitely one I would say is a history lesson. You know, it's yeah. definitely showing you it's a product of its time, but it's still relevant today. And that's yep. to me is a good movie or a good aspect of a movie because you can watch it today and go, that's, that is right. We do need to, you know, pay more attention. We need to do better. We need to do better. Yep. Yep. Just do better, people. <laughs> I try myself. Like I said, I do. And it starts for me. It starts with me teaching my daughter. Yep. You know, that's my one step. You know, it's like Michael Jackson said, you know, he's talking to the man in the mirror because it starts with him. It starts with you. So. Sorry. And now I'm getting a little preachy. <laughs> no, no worries. Not, not, you're not going to hear me complaining about that. <laughs> um, so I, I think that. The closest thing I have to a negative that we haven't already discussed mm-hmm. in this movie. And, you know, end of the day, I think it's a good movie. Um, but we got to talk about the last five minutes of this film. <laughs> so I don't, I, I'm not going to go blow by blow because you, watch the movie. I recommend watching the movie. You can see it yourselves. But like yeah. I said, there's like four or five false endings in, in the space of like five minutes. Fine. Just bam, bam, Literally. bam, bam, bam. And uh, they spend the they spend time in all three acts of this film focusing on her pregnancy. Uh, yeah. Let me see here. Talia Shire as Maggie. They spend all of this time focusing on her pregnancy. And you see them getting medevaced in the last, you know, getting the, getting uh, evacuated by helicopter, etc. Yeah. We never get the Chekhov's gun of the pregnancy. We'd never get payoff. Ironically, I mean, she's getting sicker and sicker over the course of the film. She's absolutely positively green in most yeah. of the third act because of the mercury poisoning. Yeah. And she's up in the helicopter and her skin is bright. Her makeup's done. She, <laughs> she's fine and all kinds of happy. Is life great? When she was sick in the helicopter earlier. Uh, so we never get payoff one way or the other, like the Brendel fly kind of aspect. We never, we right. never find out is this, uh, he, is the kid fine? Is the kid viable? Is the kid mutated? Yeah. Any of these things, because Mercury is a hell of a thing. Even yeah. if the kid didn't mutate or have birth defects, it could just outright be be killed very, very right. easily. What's our, where's our payoff? And we never get that payoff. And then, of course, you know, you see your sting at the end where the monster, rawr, you know, where it's another monster. So I don't know if they were just saving that portion 
of the story, hoping there would be a prophecy too. Maybe. And that's why we didn't get payoff. But some kind if you're even if that's where you're going to go, you know, do like they've done in, in other movies where, you know, the, well, my baby, how's the baby? Oh, this is about your child. And you see them look at the doctor and then roll credit. Yeah. If you want to leave it open, leave it open. But leave it open intentionally. Yeah. Not just like, okay, well, we're done with this. So so it just kind of builds to be like, okay, well, the white people are out of danger now. We're done. <laughs> I guess I, this is actually something I looked up because I was reading an article about the book versus the movie. And that was one thing they said in the article was that there's no pretty much the same thing. There was no payoff. They said in the book, um, she loses the kid, not like she aborts it or anything. Um, it was more, now I'm forgetting. I think it was something like it was trauma because when, you know, she was injured during the, when the monster was breaking into the cabin and all that. So it was pretty much the trauma that they endured from escaping the monster was kind of like, she lost the baby in the end, but the article literally was saying the same thing. Cause it is, it's like, well, what, what happens? Like, well, you want, you, you do want to know what happens to the baby if it is safe or not, or even if, but nope, there's, there's, there's nothing. There's it's nothing. just big monster scene. Grandpa dies, which is another funny death. All you see is like his legs <laughs> flying in the air, <laughs> just flying in the air. And you're just like, what's happening? And then you, yeah, like you said, and then you think the monster drowns because it starts walking in the pond. Nope, it doesn't drown. And then you think when he shoots it, it dies. Nope, it comes crashing through the side of the cabin. And then you think John gets it with the arrows. Nope. And then I, I can't remember. I know he starts stabbing it in the water once it falls, but Rob ends up saving the day. But yes, Rob, it is a Rob Foxworthy. Rob Foxworthy spends the, spends like forty five on screen seconds stabbing this thing in the throat with an, with an arrow when it was already dead. He, <laughs> like he, right, he, he was just dead. going to town stabbing with this arrow. Well, um, this is where my misspent youth comes in. The arrow shaft never would have survived being. St- thrust into the body more than maybe once twice on the outside but no this this air is over and over and over and over and over again so i'm just like half rolling my eyes half laughing my ass off during this whole thing now, i love the whole rage driven woad kind of aspect of you know you're acting about i'm sick of this i'm not taking this more losing it going berserk and going nuts on the monster i absolutely buy that that makes perfect sense to me but just the the impracticality of the stabbing it with an arrow like 15, 20 times. <laughs> yeah, oh, that was just funny. Um, I think this movie would be a great double feature with uh, Clear Cut with Graham Greene. I haven't seen that one. Um, that's a really good underknown. And I think that's on, uh, I think it was on Shutter. I think it still is. Um, so it, it's a good one to check out. It's the same theme. Um, no. No mutated monsters in this one, but uh, you know, white industry having a, an impact on native culture. So it's really a great movie. Um, yeah, with you know native actors. Um, uh, so with that one, I also think it would be good with Blood Quantum. But you I was just going to say Blood, Blood Quantum. Quantum. That's a good one. I great love movie. That movie. And the the old movie. man versus the monsters. And that one is so much better done than the old man versus the monster in prophecy. <laughs> yeah, it was this, oh wow, what an incredible end kind of a thing in Blood Quantum versus Grandpa's legs, 
Yep, Grandpa's legs. <laughs> just there flying they go. in the air. <laughs> just flying around. Just so yeah, I kind of forgot about it. I just, just, just now and I was like, oh yeah, that was a funny death too. Still sleeping back down. Best one. Best one. So best 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 <laughs> death ever. My favorite death on screen ever, I think. I'd be hard pressed to find one I like more. I agree. I was gonna say before the little one pops in again, I covered everything I wanted to say. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about or before we go? Uh, no, I think we're I think we're good for now. I think that because pretty much everything I wanted to say in the movie. Me too. It was a good I could movie. Go like on I said, sleeping bag for another hour. Yeah, I could too. <laughs> I definitely could talk for another hour. Just be like, let's go over this frame by frame because it was amazing. <laughs> so again, like I said, if you don't ever want to watch Prophecy, people just watch it for that one scene at least. It's like what, like yeah. 30, 40 minutes into 30 movie? seconds ish. Yeah, like it's yeah. just it, it gets and that there. scene that scene specifically exists as its own video on YouTube. If you run a search for Prophecy 1979, that's like two or three videos down. It's on oh, really? the list. It will come up oh, in the perfect. search. Result. Yes. Well, that's also the first time you see the monster. I wrote a note was that scene is the first time you get a like a good look at what the monster is, is when it's attacking the family. So that's probably why. And then it has the best death. So Funny death. It does. Good times. <laughs> so like I said, yeah, definitely watch the movie. It's a good movie. It definitely scares you in a way that you wouldn't think this movie would scare you. But it really does, like you said, get under your skin and just make you go, oh. And the fact that it's still relevant, you know, made, what, over 40 years ago is still relevant today? Mm -hmm. Like, that says a lot. That yep. says a lot. So I'm going to wrap it up for today. Thank you again for joining me here on Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. Again, I'm your host, Sarah Sin. Thank you for sticking around as I discuss horror history, psychology, and mental health within horror movies. Hope you enjoyed the show. Ruby, it's always a pleasure having you on here. Sorry, Hamera popped you, in you. so many times. No, never. always a pleasure. No worries at all. Again, thank you for listening. And I just want to remind everybody that there's a horror movie out there for everyone to enjoy. So thank you.